Welcome, everybody, to the History Was podcast. I'm Morgan. I'm Lexi. We're we're glad to be back. Sorry, we took a week off because I couldn't get my life together, guys. Look, sometimes it's just like that. We did have a good trip down to Key West, though. That was cool. Yeah, I saw yeah. The, I saw that dog. Is that Kaya? That is Kaya the papaya. I love her. She was in the wedding. She's a year old, I think. She is all of the energy. So Michael's best friend's little sister got married. Michael officiated. And then the day after that, we took the boat out and we had papaya in the boat. Ooh. And she was very unsure getting in. And it was <laughs> so funny, but it was good. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. well, that sounds nice. I didn't I haven't done anything. Well, you've been like living at the studio, haven't you? Not studio. I do. I live at yeah. the theater now. Yeah. That's what I do. I go there and then <laughs> I go home. You've turned into the Phantom of the Opera? <laughs> Girl, <laughs> you are not kidding. You have no idea how much you're not kidding. That's all I do. I go there, I come home. I go there, I come home. And that's <laughs> it. I still don't know some things. I'm still uh, not getting. Look, look I mean, Morgan, this is, this is still your first rodeo. All of this is your first rodeo. It is. It is. It is. <laughs> Say, look, it's going to be great. I think by opening night, it'll be great. Yeah. It's wild right now. <laughs> yeah. Everybody is on edge because we've got people that, we've got, it's not people. It's not, it's not, at least in one part, all of us don't know what we're doing. <laughs> it's different parts for each person, but like, you know, it's a little, like, we just practiced with our band for the first time yesterday. <laughs> so, you know, it's fine, though. It's going to be fine. It's going to be gonna great. be great. It's actually going to be great. Yeah, eventually. Everybody's, I think, finally, it's starting to click okay. for a lot of things. So that's nice. You know, but don't let this deter anybody who might be listening. Please come see us. <laughs> the Plant City Entertainment, best little whorehouse in Texas, yeah. weekends. I've got all my tickets ready to go. I'm very excited for that. Everybody who knows me is coming on the same night. You're welcome. We're I'm not going like, to tell the rest of you when that is so you can splice out your business. I was going to say, like, feel free to come on separate nights. I feel bad because, like, I'm going to be, like, trying to, like, say hi to a lot of people. But then Sorry. I'm going to definitely be fucking off with you guys because you came out of town. <laughs> well, yeah. Like, so a couple of us are coming from out of town. And I think we were... A, very excited to see you. So we wanted to get there as early as we could. Mm -hmm. And then B, it gives us all a chance to see each other. Yeah, so it does. We're just going to be there with everyone and their mother, literally, yeah, to quite see honestly. you. And it's yes. going to be so much fun, though. I'm so excited. I'm, I'm very excited. Uh, I finally practiced in our corsets for the first time. How'd that go? A little nervous. <laughs> a little nervous, not going to lie. Well, let's hope we don't have any unplanned guest stars of the show. <laughs> it, is, it is a whorehouse, but um, yeah, so uh, I, I got some, you know, I keep, I'm just, I keep trying different things. I tried double-sided tape, could not be held. Boot tape could not be held. So we're going to try like this pasty situation, the clips in the front, see if that works out. Look, I, at this point, I have to come running down the stairs a lot. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> I'm just real nervous. And I'm trying to not have that nervous look on my face. 
the whole time because I am so nervous and being self-conscious like I'm a whore I'm supposed to be the opposite of self-conscious especially about my tits coming out so yeah you know that's true that's true like you know, just hard. um if you get like smiley face pasties <laughs> and yeah. just put them over and then if anyone sees it, it's just oh, happy birthday to you happy birthday but, so, yeah, if you go see the Littlest Tort House in Texas, you can get dinner and a show and a show. So, Potentially, yeah. We do have a cafe. And... <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love yeah. it. Crazy. Absolutely crazy. Yeah, as soon as I'm done with this, I'll be going to the studio. It looks amazing. Like, this set, amazing. They've really done a lot of work to make this look really good. And... It's a small and older theater, but the set that they've designed is really, really good. So that's I'm that's so cool. excited. I can't wait to see it. Yeah. Yeah. I found out we just had them for this year, but I think I'll be trying out next year. You go and you try out and it's like the paid theaters in the area. And then you basically go and... There's a bunch of directors there because they're all there for their season and you get like two minutes and you can do whatever you want. You can sing, dance, monologue, whatever. And then you'll and either will or won't, I guess, get immediately like texts or emails and they'll let you know if they want you in your show. And then you get to you get to perform at the stress. Oh, that's fun. It would be. That cool. seems like it's way more stress, but also way more exciting. Potentially more stressful. I don't know. I don't know. I think it would be different kind of stress because here we have like a lot of people who really like it, but don't know what all of them don't necessarily know what they're doing. But like, I guess if you were working with a lot of more like professional type people, they would really know what they're doing. I'm probably going to see if I can do a Udemy to learn how to read music because currently, I mean, that's not fair. I do remember what everybody remembers, right? Like every good boy does finer than face and then the little hats are four measures and the little open circles are two measures you should and... know you remember so much more than i do oh okay because i remember so... the claps and that's <laughs> my memory ends okay. yeah and then like tabs but those are very different that's not yeah. music yeah i can read chords okay but it literally just tells you what it is so you know yeah. that's helpful uh yeah no like the little open circles are two notes the closed circles are one note and then they're eighth notes when they're connected and the little hats are yeah i understand how to read a bit of it but it doesn't help if you don't know what that sounds like yeah. if it's a, if you're like hey that's a b what does a b sound like not a fucking clue it's good to tell you no it. idea that's it's gonna so, be fine it's gonna be yeah fine. it's just you know things to consider things to yeah. consider so we drove down to the keys it was so first we had to drive all the way down to Key West, mm -hmm. and that was the longest road trip I've been on in quite some time. Nine hours from Jacksonville. It's a long trip. And we left at like 6 a.m. But then on the way back, we started listening to a new podcast that has like all of my attention. And it's the Murdoch Quarters, which I'm like late on this train. So I don't know if like the whole rest of the world is familiar with it. And this is the one where he was whispering to himself in the bathroom on a hot mic. Nope. For a guy. Yep. Want to kill his family? Yep. But okay. there's so much to that story. Gotcha. It's yeah. wild. So yeah, but Murdoch is also a fucking wild story. The guy who was whispering on a hot mic. I guess people with the last name Murdoch just kill people. Yeah, they gotta stop doing that. <laughs> they gotta uh, stop murdocking their <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> um, but yeah, so there's a podcast called the Well, I, I think now it's called True Sunlight. It used to be called Murdoch Murders. 
And then we came home and immediately watched a documentary about it <laughs> because it got Michael's attention, too. And we were just like binging this the whole ride home. Yeah, I think it was recently Netflix did one, right? It was a big yeah, Netflix so, documentary. Yeah, it's weird. So they had one come out in this year, but then they haven't posted an update to it. And they had some like crazy shit happen um, in the update. So okay. I'm hoping they post an update episode to it. Okay. But it's interesting. So the podcast is from the perspective of an investigative reporter who covered it. And she's kind of why it got a lot of attention because her podcast took off. And that's oh, okay. from the investigative reporter side. And then the Netflix special is from the perspective of the kids who like lived through a lot of it. So like first oh, person accounts. Okay. Okay. So it's cool to see both sides of it or hear both sides, I guess. Yeah, see both. one of them. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, it's anyway. That's I don't know taking up so much of. Yeah, I only know very like basically the topic sentence. He killed his family, like his yeah. wife and son, with like a that is like not even part of the craziest part <laughs> of this. <laughs> that's thing. wild. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you think that would be the highlight, right? You, like, you like, would think murdering your wife and son. Are the highlights? Yeah. Bottom of the barrel. <laughs> That's it's wild. Insane. So anyway, if I'm you need ready. some crazy shit to blow your mind, either listen to the podcast or do watch the Netflix show. But they're, they're both amazing and insane. And I'm obsessed. That is yeah. my latest thing. And I've spent way too much time. I'm reading to make it an official episode. I'm reading a book about World War One right now. What? Well, uh, tell me more. <laughs> it's about plastic surgery and like the start of it in World War I. After my face, I've oh, kind yes. of become, yeah, 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 this yeah, has I become an interest of mine, right? Because I've sure, sure. been Humpty Dumpty back together. Uh, so You would have looked so much worse in 1920. I would have just had to like deal with my sunken ass face. Like it's You would have so... had, you would have been Phantom of the Opera with your little, yeah, with a little. I would have. You'd have made it look cute though. Honestly, for a while, I thought I was going to be the lady from Kill Bill with the eye patch. Oh. I was like, dude, I'm going to have to get in such better shape because like you can't. You know, no, you would have been hot like her. It would have been fine. Daryl Hannah, she's hot. You're hot. Yeah, but I would have had to like get in Daryl Hannah. That's different. That's a different shape than I am. <laughs> no, you just. You'd just have to learn how to fight with a sword. <laughs> but yeah, so anyway, reading that book and I'm on this gorgeous beach in the Keys, like having the most peaceful morning of my life because the boys went off fishing mm -hmm. and I was just like ignoring everyone else at the resort that we knew and was having like a day to myself and sat on the beach mm -hmm. with my book reading about men who got their jaws blown off in World War One, But Yo, then yeah. there's a part in it where it discusses, so World War One was like the start of chemical warfare. Yeah. And it's taking up too much brain power of mine trying to get my head around what the men had to be thinking, watching the people run from the trenches after getting hit with gas. Like before we knew that anyone needed a gas mask anywhere, mm -hmm. that that was like a possibility that could happen. Mm -hmm. And just watching them run at you has to be like the scariest. Like obviously sucks to be the people in the trench. So, But then they yeah. weren't around long. And then the people who had to live with that, just <laughs> that sight and not knowing what that was immediately. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I can't imagine. Uh, yeah, no, me neither. Uh, to, and to be fair, all wars are bad. But Warp War 1 takes up a lot of my brain power. <laughs> because I think about how many new things were occurring. At, so A of all, right? Everyone's like 18 years old. They're all children. <laughs> they're or younger. Most or most. They're, they're lying they're, to are, get in. Yeah. Well, yeah. So there were a lot of younger people. If you're older, you're probably an officer of some kind and then the things that you're witnessing right so you're you're in these you're in the midst of trench warfare which is already scary you've got people tunneling to get to you you've got no man's land between you guys so you've got Mm -hmm. barbed wire mines gas uh and then you know you're watching guns that can fire like miles away for the first time ever yeah and, you know, you're young and you're watching people's faces get blown off. Now, I know of a story from D-Day, which is obviously a different war, but they were storming the beach and he had a guy next to him and they were kind of, you know, they had the shouting, like, you know, directions to one another, the communicating next steps. And he kind of looks back at this guy and watches his head explode. Mm-hmm. Explode. It just had exploded. Person you were just speaking to, right? And you may, you may anticipate that this could happen, right? Because you're storming a beach, which I do not have the fortitude to do. No. A, I can't run in sand. B, like, what if it gets in your boot? <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. you just have to run with Sandy to, ooh. And <laughs> for, that, for that reason alone. For that and reason your, And alone. your boots are wet. And then you're wet running through sandy. wet sand. So it's like sticking to it. Yeah. And everyone's heads are exploding. So, you know, I mean, it's just for all these reasons I can't do it. But even with that anticipation that this could potentially happen, seeing it happen to somebody you were talking to less than five seconds ago, and it happened in World War One as well. I think about that a lot. Yeah. So in World <laughs> War One, I, I guess, because it's like trench warfare, mm-hmm. but it's the first time they're using guns that are like that powerful. Mm-hmm. And, and you so got people, mortars. Yeah. But I mean, people yeah. would like pop their heads up, yeah. not thinking. And then, that is, boom, you're, either your head is gone or you're considered unlucky enough to survive that. Mm-hmm. And then, like, your jaw's gone or, mm-hmm. like, your eye is gone or whatever. And then it wasn't until partway through World War One they realized when someone has an injury like that, you can't put them on a stretcher on their back because they'll suffocate on their own. That's a thing that we didn't yeah. learn until World War One that you have well, to transport those people face down. So the blood will flow out yeah, instead of flow back into them. Insanity. I'm probably going to do a podcast on just the history of the... No, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, that that that. is the ending. Yeah, that is the ending of All Quiet on the Western Front. That is how it is. With the kid popping, I think he's drawing a bird. um, Mm -hmm. After he was writing a note to his mother. And, And they keep making new versions of this movie. And I'm like, we're probably fine. We had an original one and then one that was made in like the 80s or 90s. And then they just did another one on Netflix. And it's a book. I'm like, I think we got it. It's horrible. It's so sad. The kids like it's like the end of the war. The end. I think it may have already been finished, but not everybody was informed yet. So they're still fighting. And he pops up and he's he's drawing a bird or something to send to his mom, I think. And he dies because he popped his head up and didn't didn't think about it. That's so, yeah, I mean, yeah, World War One takes up a lot of my thoughts. Also, yeah. if you watch the show Peaky Blinders at all, for anybody, I that's... I haven't. It's so fucking good. I'm re-watching it. might have to it. give it a shot. 
Um, I'll give you the first episode is a little slow because you have to like an Anne Rice fashion. You have to understand the characters and their backstories first and mm-hmm. then you can get into the story. But it's so good. But they talk about World War One a lot because they ju- <laughs> it's they just got back. It's like okay. the women, the women were running everything. They're kind of like a crime family and the women were running everything. And now the men are back and they're all fucking shell shocked and crazy and are taking back over like the crime thing. But I fucking love gotcha. that show. All right, we might have to give it a shot. We're watching the Grand Tour right now, and I've <laughs> never been happier. So Michael didn't want to watch it for the longest time. Like, it's not up his alley and things. And people, for whatever reason, choose to not trust my comedy recommendations because I don't mm-hmm. think a lot of things are funny, mm-hmm. which, in my personal opinion, that means when I say shit is funny, it, really it is, is funny. hilarious. But he wasn't wanting to watch it. And I finally got him a week or so ago to sit down and watch an episode. Mm-hmm. And we are on the third season now. (laughs) Just binged through it, but we're watching it backwards. Okay. So we started like with the most recent one and then went back and he's just dying laughing at it. And it's... Has he watched any of the specials yet? Yeah. So we're starting (laughs) backwards. So the last two seasons have only been specials. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we just started, we're at the beginning of season three and we're going to watch our way through season three. We had to change this up last night because... I was like, do you want to start at the beginning, beginning? And he's like, no, that he was not a fan of the first episode. And then I was oh, like, right. got him to sit down and watch one of the specials. And that's yeah. what sucked him in. Yeah. I mean, the specials are definitely the best. But yeah, I don't like, uh, well, not not like, I just, I'm not interested. Cars do not necessarily interest me. Right. But I watched this. I've been watching it since it was, um, what was it before it was Grand Tour? I know Gear. this. Top Gear. Yeah. I was watching them since Top Gear. Zero censure about the cars. I watched it for the comedy. It's English yeah. comedy, which is it's, my favorite comedy. And it's like premium English comedy. It's like, it, it really is. It it really who's his favorite? Who's his favorite of the three? Oh, so he's already decided. So Eric used to make us pick who we were, like who you most uh, identify as. Um so I think he loves all of them, but he identifies with Jeremy. I think I would probably identify with Jeremy as well, but so, Richard Hammond is my favorite. So I was like, I wish I could be James May. And he looked at me dead in my fucking <laughs> face and said, you are Richard Hammond. <laughs> and I was like, no, I want to be James May. And he's like, no, that's that's not you. And I was like, and then James goes and does something ridiculous. I'm like, that could be me. And then Richard does something that's just asshole-ish. And he's like, that is you. <laughs> oh, that's probably why he's my favorite. <laughs> I love him so much. And, but one of my favorite gifts of all time is Jeremy's time for the smug face. <laughs> my favorite gift. It's so good. Anyway, oh, so uh, good. we are actually not here today to talk about World War One or cars. <laughs> no, sorry, guys. We haven't talked in a while. <laughs> we, uh, and maybe you skipped ahead. Maybe you've been with us for this whole journey. We thank you for that. <laughs> please, uh, do you have any commentary of your own? Please feel free to email it in at, <laughs> at gmail.com. <laughs> uh, but yeah, today is the fourth installment of Pride Month coming Pride late Pride. because... Well, I had to go to a lesbian wedding. So, <laughs> so look, that's why it's late. It is what it is. <laughs> but yeah, tell us what what you're what you're doing today. Yeah, well, so I couldn't drink because I have to go run downstairs right after this. <laughs> so, I have like a small glass of wine. I'm going to get my hair cut after this. Oh yeah, that's fair. You got to stay so stay straight. Uh, so I got coffee and I got it with almond milk. But I normally get it with it's a macchiato, so it's just like coffee and almond milk. 
mm-hmm. but I normally get it with almond milk and it I like the taste of it. But this tastes like the almond milk has gone sour. Oh, so, dear. Sadly, Don't drink that. Dunkin' Donuts. I can't have this. So I have Diet Coke instead. All right. Um, luckily, I always have a bisexual amount of beverages nearby. And I already finished my water. So now I just have a, a little mini Diet Coke. It's not Listeners exciting. can't see it, but I have my glass of wine and my water here because <laughs> it's important. In my Corgi rescue cup. I don't even have a Corgi. <laughs> I saw a video the other day that said in Welsh legend, Corgis were gifted to humanity by the fairies. And that's why they have such short legs. And the fairies used to ride them into mm-hmm. battle. Are we getting is... another folklore episode coming? But <laughs> No, no. But I have seen some things this week that are going to be added. Because to... I know someone wanted riots. And I think I have a really good one I heard about today. I know okay. she, she wants one specifically. And then I have another one that I heard about. And we can discuss. Perfect. So we can do that. But for my story today, I am covering LGBTQ plus members throughout history. Yay. Um, most of the people I'm going to talk about are people I did not know were in the Alphabet Mafia. But I wanted to cover this because in the spirit of pride, I think it's important to talk about the contributions these ladies, gentlemen, and theys have made throughout the ages. And to reiterate again, we're everywhere, baby. The first person I was peripherally aware of because it wasn't really unheard of during his time. Um, in fact, a lot of people were down with this, especially if you were on the Renaissance scene. But first up, we have Leonardo da Vinci, the Ninja Turtle himself. <laughs> a book by Walter The water Isaac. is turning both the frogs and the turtles <laughs> gay. <laughs> and I think, for, I think all of those turtles were, in fact... Uh, you know, dipping their quills in the, uh, <laughs> sorry. They had coordinated rainbow headbands. Right. Come on. Come on. Come on. <laughs> but yeah, so a book by Walter Isaacson called uh, Leonardo da Vinci, The Biography, showed the extent to which da Vinci lived as an openly gay man in 15th century Florence. The book was based on thousands of pages of da Vinci's own notebooks, where he repeatedly mused on his own attractions to men and borderline revulsion to sex with women. <clears throat> Their writings show that the artist had a string of younger male companions. Da Vinci also repeatedly depicted male sexuality in his art and was twice publicly accused of having sex with other men. Though I will say here, I'm... And he was more... like, yeah, what about it? Yeah, right, exactly. I will say I'm probably using the word men pretty loosely here because Leonardo probably did have relationships with adult males, but it was also really common for men to sleep with boys as well, Ooh. which this podcast does not endorse at all. And it's also not the same as being gay. But we also have to keep in context of when people were considered old enough for this kind of thing during the time, girls were getting married as soon as they hit puberty. So I just wanted to make that distinction there. Yes, he was probably gay. But he was likely also as gross as the rest of the men running the show during that time. Yeah. Next person on the list is Selma Lagerlof. I, That's maybe a fun were, name. I don't know how you pronounce it. Selma's probably correct. Who She wasn't quite as famous as Da Vinci, but was also very important in her own right. So she was the first female writer to ever be awarded the Nobel Prize in Literature, which she oh. won in 1909. In 1992, the author's letters to her lover and fellow writer Sophie Elkin 
were published in a book with a Swedish title that I will not try to pronounce in Swedish, <laughs> but it is translated to You Teach Me to Be Free, which is very pretty. The women started their relationship after meeting in 1894 and stayed together until Elkin died in 1921. They wrote thousands of letters to each other in the meantime. In one of these letters, Lavgerlov tells Elkin, quote, I have you with me everywhere. See you and hear you and live with you. Once I can't do that anymore, I will long for you. Lagerlof is also the first woman to ever be featured on a Swedish banknote. Her image was printed on the 20 kroner note when it was created in 1991. That's cool. I think so too. Next influential person on the list is Josephine Baker. She was an entertainer and activist who performed in vaudeville showcases and in Broadway musicals, including Shuffle along. In 1925, she moved to Paris to perform in a review. When the show closed, Baker was given her own show and found stardom. She became the first African-American woman to star in a motion picture and to perform with an integrated cast at an American concert hall. At the mar- I know. At the March on Washington in 1968, Baker was the only woman speaker. In her speech, she honored fellow women civil rights activists. And on top of leading her amazing and accomplished life, Baker was also known to have had relationships with both men and women throughout her lifetime. Next up, I wanted to mention, and please forgive what will I can only assume is a horrible mispronunciation, but Halia Sinagini. Sinagini, I'm not sure. sure. Who is a two-spirit photographer and curator known for her artwork depicting Native American women and families urban Native people, and indigenous responses to colonialist history. The term two-spirit is something we have touched on before, but I don't expect everyone to remember everything we've ever said. Uh, That makes one of us. I'm giving all of you a test at the end. (laughs) So two-spirit is an umbrella term for Native people who have both male and female spirits and is used to describe different gender identities present among Native Americans and First Nations. Additionally, depending on where they're from, Two-Spirit people also use words from their indigenous language for gender variance, which makes sense because why would it be just one thing across so many? Everywhere, yeah. Halia was born into the Bear and Raccoon clans of the Seminole and Muskegee nations and born to the Snajini clan of the Navajo Nation. She is active in several Native American organizations and continues to document indigenous community gatherings and acts of activism and sovereignty in Northern California. She works as professor of Native American studies at UC Davis and is the director of the C.N. Gorman Museum. Interesting fact that was included with the sources, because the Navajo Nation is matrilineal, children are born into the clan of their mother and born for the clan of their father. That's why she was born into the Bear and Raccoon clans of the Seminole Muskegee Nations and born for the Genie clan of the Napa Foundation. I didn't know that. I mean, yeah, I just thought that was a cool fun fact. That's neat. The next person on my list is also still working on being an activist today. Cecilia Chung works to advocate for human rights, social justice, and health equity in LGBTQ plus equity. She was born in Hong Kong, but she lived in San Francisco since 1984. Today, she works as the Director of Evaluation and Strategic Initiatives at Transgender Law Center. In 2008, she became the first transgender woman and first person living 
openly with HIV to chair the San Francisco Human Rights Commission. She served on the Presidential Advisory Council on HIV and AIDS from 2013 to 2015. In 2020, she participated in a panel featuring HIV activists and caretakers for a National Museum of Natural History as part of the museum's fourth annual commemoration of World AIDS Day. During the event, she spoke out about how she founded Positively Trans, a national network of transgender people living with HIV, especially people of color, focused on storytelling, policy advocacy, and leadership development. I definitely wanted to include her because of my story earlier on AIDS and how it affected the LGBT community. And we talked a bit about how minorities had an even harder time because mm-hmm. there was just so little advocation for them. But Cecilia has been on the has been and is on the front lines to change that. So the next person, I had no fucking idea she was into women, but it is Sally Ride. You didn't know that? No. I thought that's why you liked her so much. Well, no, but it's now made me like her even more. Okay. Um, So in June 1983, I assume most people know who she is, but Sally became the first American woman to travel in space. Later in life, Dr. Ride, who is also an engineer and physicist, became director of the California Space Institute and a professor of physics at the University of California, San Diego. And I do fangirl hard for Dr. Wright. <laughs> well, she was married to another astronaut, Stephen Hawley, during her historical flight to space. It came out later that she had been in a long-term relationship with former Women's Tennis Association player, Tam O'Shaughnessy. But their relationship <laughs> came out in a, like, a really subtle way. Tam noticed that Sally looked ill in March of 2011. And after going to the doctor, Sally received the news that she had cancer, and only a little over a year later, she passed. In Sally Ride's, in Sally Ride Science's obituary, and Sally Ride Science was just an educational venture that Dr. Ride had founded a decade earlier. But in their obituary, they referred to Tam O'Shaughnessy as, quote, her partner of 27 years. A spokeswoman for Sally Ride Science said Ride and O'Shaughnessy had worked at the phrasing of the announcement before Ride's death. In an email, Sally Ride's sister, get this, her her sister's name is Bear Ride, B-E-A-R, what? B-E-A-R, bear like a, like a grizzly bear, Bear Ride, very metal name. No. <laughs> Sally really you're right. Yeah, I guess. Unless she How do you get those bear. two names? Like, did dad get to name one of them? You gotta assume. Mom was like, Sally. And dad's like, bear. He's like, it's a girl. And he's like, don't care, bear. It's fine. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. So in an email, she wrote and explained why Sally kept quiet about her sexual orientation. She said, quote, if you read interviews from years and years back, you'll see that there was always a major frustration that she didn't comment much on how it feels to be the first American woman in space. She just didn't think that way. She wanted to get her job done. Her personal feelings were just that, personal. Not right or wrong, simply Sally. Everyone who knows her well really got that about her. Bear, who is a gay Presbyterian minister. Yeah, uh, obviously. (laughs) I'm sorry, were you going to name your daughter Bear? And maybe that's her chosen name, in which case I'm an asshole for this, but... (laughs) (laughs) But you can't name a woman bear and and really expect. Yeah, she's gonna be good. That, that they're gonna fuck Ben. I don't know. That's <laughs> just that that hits differently. Yeah, exactly. In my very humble opinion. 
Yeah. No, I agree. <laughs> so she takes a little bit different approach than her sister. She said, I'm rather out there and an advocate for LGBT rights. My partner and I have been arrested a couple of times in public protests, but that's me and not Sally. Bear also wrote in an essay as a tribute to her sister, saying, Most people did not know that Sally had a wonderfully loving relationship with Tam O'Shaughnessy for 27 years. Sally never hid her relationship with Tam. They were partners, business partners in Sally Ride Science. They wrote books together. And Sally's very close friends, of course, knew of the love they had for each other. We consider Tam a part of our family. I hope the pancreatic cancer community is going to be absolutely thrilled that there's now this advocate that they didn't know about. And I hope that the, and this is back before, so GLBT community feels the same. I hope it makes it easier for kids growing up gay and that they know that another one of their heroes was like them. Hmm. Yeah, I know. That's sweet. In 2013, President Obama honored right after she died. Opens up presidential medal and freedom. She inspired generations of young girls to reach for the stars and later fought tirelessly to help them get there by advocating for a greater focus on science and math in our schools. Sally's life showed that there are no limits to what we can achieve. I love that. Yeah, me too. The next person on my list is all Billy Shakes himself. Hey! <laughs> Um, and I had heard this theory before, but I hadn't really read much into it. All I knew was that a lot of people get very grumpy. The idea that William Shakespeare might have liked to make the beast with two backs, as he would say, with both men and ladies. But many people who have studied his work have agreed and endorsed the idea, including Sir Ian McKellen, who is known for playing Gandalf, Lord of the Rings, Magneto, and X-Men, but has also done a lot of classical theater and has spent a considerable amount of time studying and acting out Shakespearean plays and story inside of a story. Sir Ian also identified Yeah. In 2012... Hero with a hero. Yep. In 2012, Sir Ian said, I'd say Shakespeare slept with men. The Merchant of Venice... <laughs> the Merchant of Venice, centering on how the world treats gays as well as Jews, has a love triangle between an older man, younger man, and a woman. And the complexities in his comedies with cross-dressing and disguises is immense. Shakespeare obviously enjoyed sex with men as well as women. The artistic director of the Royal Shakespearean Company, Gregory Duran, said in 2017 that Shakespeare wrote a cycle of 154 sonnets, which were published in 1609. Of those, 126 of those sonnets are addressed to a man, not a woman. Hell yeah. <laughs> Look. And Stanley, did you see the tights in those era? Come on, this can't be crazy. This can't be weird for people to think of. Come on. Come on. Those tights. And then Stanley Wells, the chairman of the Shakespearean Birthplace Trust, said in 2016, quote, when a poet whose name is William writes poems of anguished and unabashed sexual frankness, which pun on the word will 13 times in sonnet 135, it is not unreasonable to conclude that he may have been writing from the depths of his own experience. Okay. It's also really weird that he nicknamed himself Billy Shakes, but you know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> crazy. <laughs> the last person on my list is Caroline Spurgeon, the first ever female university professor at the University of London. And only the second in England. And interestingly, was the author of Shakespeare's Imagery which was published in 1935. 
Caroline lived in Alston, which is in East Sussex in England, with Lillian Clapham. 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 I don't know. Her companion since 1896. Lillian was made an MBE for promoting job opportunities for women, and she was also the captain of the England women's hockey team. No stereotypes here. (laughs) When Lillian died in 1935, Caroline erected a gravestone with this message. In loving memory of Lillian Mary Clapham of Alston, a good friend to this village who died 21st of December 1935, aged 84 years. This stone is placed here by Caroline F. East Virgin in grateful remembrance of 40 years of steadfast friendship and a happy life together. In 1936, Caroline had to leave Alston for the sake of her health, and she had to move to Arizona with Virginia Gildersleeve, which is a great name, who had been dean of Barnard College and a good friend of Caroline and Lillian's. The two lived together until Caroline's death on her 73rd birthday on October 24th, 1942. Caroline died in 1942 in the middle of World War II. Her dying wish was for her ashes to be buried alongside Lillian's in Alston oh. Parish Church. I know. On August 14th, 1946, so Virginia wasted no fucking time. When the war was over, Virginia honored her friend's wishes and brought back Caroline's ashes to be buried in Alston in a grave that was next to Lillian's. Oh, what a good friend. I know. She brought her back. So, and that is my story on historic... LGBTQ plus alphabet mafia members. I love it. I, so sweet. Yeah. I uh, wasn't sure what I was going to do for this last one. And then I just kind of started thinking about different people. And I was like, I'm going to cover all, all these of people them. who like had like these great contributions. And it wasn't always super known that they were a part of this. I love it. So good. Great Everybody, story. Baby. Thank you. So we up in your space. We up in your novels. All <laughs> up in the classroom. Yeah. <laughs> All up in the business. Love. Okay. So All right. About your story. Well, this so, is the second part. Yeah. Welcome to part two of part four. <laughs> so last time I covered the Stonewall riots and the lasting impact they had. And we mentioned a specific street queen who may or may not have climbed a light pole in pantyhose <laughs> to drop her purse full of bricks onto a police car below. And that queen is Marsha P. Johnson. A- but as... As I was writing the story, I realized it's impossible to talk about Marsha without also talking about her protege, Sylvia Rivera. Yes. Okay. She was the people. She was one of the people. And I almost covered her as part of the people. And I was like, no, I bet she's going to mention her. I bet she's going to mention her. I, don't, I was like, I can't. I don't want to steal any, any thunders or thunders. I, I was like, okay, she's going to get it. I got you. She's okay. so good. She is really um, cool. Yeah, so you can't talk about one without the other, and you can't mm-hmm. mention both of them without talking about their work in the Star House. So today, I'm telling you about Marsha P. Johnson, Sylvia Rivera, and the Star House. So Marsha was one of the most prominent icons of the gay rights movement throughout the 70s. She was an incredibly important advocate for young, homeless, alphabet mafia members and those affected by HIV and AIDS. She was born in 1945 in Elizabeth, New Jersey, assigned male at birth. Mm -hmm. Uh, She was the fifth of seven children. Her mother was a housekeeper and her father worked on the General Motors assembly line. Marsha was always fond of women's dresses, but around age five was bullied into not wearing them. Boo. She grew up in a Methodist church and would remain religious all her life, but in somewhat different ways. 
Marcia said that when she was growing up, the thought of being herself living out and proud, quote, felt like some sort of dream. Her mother told her that being a member of the Alphabet Mafia was lower than being a dog. Uh, of course. The church. When Marcia graduated high school, she immediately left with $15 and a bag of clothes. Yeah, she headed, And she headed straight for New York City. Hey, the big apple. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, if your family is telling you your whole life, regardless of whether she had let them in on her secret, if all you've heard your whole life is that what you identify as is less than a dog, which, I mean, to be fair, we're all kind of less than a dog because dogs are... But that's not Perfect. how they meant it. Uh, <laughs> right. you know? But yeah. Yeah, I could see why you'd be like, well, Peace out. <laughs> Yeah, and I think... So, Marsha was one of those people that they were who they were, and I think their parents realized it. Her parents told her when she was still going under her given name Mm -hmm. uh, that, you know, she needed to choose a rich boyfriend. So I think they knew who she was. They just were also revolted by her. Okay. So she had 15 bucks, a bag of clothes, and her high school diploma, and was out of there. Mm -hmm. So Marsha initially went by Black Marsha, but then later chose Marsha P. Johnson as her name, getting the surname from the Howard Johnson where she worked. When asked by a judge what the P in her name stood for, she responded, pay it no mind. I love her. The judge cracked up and she was released from custody. Throughout this, remember, language surrounding the Alphabet Mafia community has changed and developed over the years. Yeah. Marsha referenced herself as gay. A drag queen, a transvestite, and she used she, her pronouns. And as we've discussed at length, the trans community has had an especially hard time, mm-hmm. more so in the 60s and 70s. Yeah. Marsha faced discrimination and ultimately turned to sex work as a way to make money. She was frequently abused and arrested, and she also lacked staple housing for most of her life. Bouncing from place to place and sleeping where she could. So last night this happened. I almost started crying on stage. It's the end, right? And mm-hmm. we're all whores. And we've, uh, spoiler alert, if you guys haven't seen the movie or know anything about it, we do lose our home, right? That's the premise. That we get mm-hmm. shut down by the, by what? And at the very end, we hadn't done this yet. She asked us to come out when the madam is singing and we're supposed to stand behind her. And she told us, you know, you're not really behind her. You're supposed to look like ghosts. And I almost started bawling based on like, it's, you know, we're all representing a woman who didn't have a safe place to practice sex work, Mm -hmm. who, and at this time during the show, it's, it's 70s. There's an active serial killer of, of sex workers. There's lots of that. There's active, but multiple, there's multiple ones. And that was just probably the more famous one. one in California, but and so because of this, like, countless abused and murdered and just didn't have anywhere safe to be. And, yeah, last night I, I started tearing. She's like, you, you're you both basically supposed to be ghosts now. And mm-hmm. I was just like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. That's rough. It's awful. It's... I mean, it's, it, that's just that's the reality, right? For sex yeah. workers. And even more so for trans women. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, which makes a lot of the work that they do so much more important, especially these two women. Yep. So in addition to sex work, Marsha would occasionally wait tables and perform in drag shows. To quote Marsha, 
I was no one, nobody from Nowheresville until I became a drag queen. Not long after her move to New York City, Marsha, then 17 years old, met the 11-year-old Sylvia Rivera. Okay. Sylvia was born in New York City in 1951, born to immigrant parents. Her father was from Puerto Rico. Her mother was from Venezuela. Sylvia was assigned male at birth and had an extremely hard time growing up. Her mother died by suicide when she was only three years old, so she was sent to be raised by her grandmother. When she would attempt to express herself through clothes and makeup, she was beaten. She was attacked by students on the playground in the sixth grade, and upon being suspended from school, ran away from home. At 11 years old, Sylvia would later say that Marcia was like a mother to her. Marcia encouraged her to be who she was and express herself fully. And Marcia was always fond of bright, colorful outfits and flower crowns, which really, who isn't? Gross, a gross thing. <laughs> um, I'm glad that she found Marcia and not somebody else. I, I assume Marcia probably assume, wasn't the first person yeah, she met. That's what I was saying. I was like, I mean, she probably ran into a lot of hard things before she found her, but. And she was 11. Like, on the streets at 11. Both women's lives dramatically changed the night of the Stonewall riots. There are competing stories throughout history. Many attribute the first brick thrown to be thrown by Marcia, but she's always denied it. And it's been said that Sylvia threw the first Molotov cocktail. She did go on record in 2001 saying she did not throw the first, but she did throw the second. <laughs> Perfect. She's at like, the damn, I wish I would have. <laughs> right. At the time of the uprising, Sylvia was only 17 years old. Oof. Stonewall, like we've discussed, was a galvanizing force for the gay rights movement. Marsha and Sylvia became heavily involved in the early days of the Gay Liberation Front and the Gay Activist Alliance. But both grew frustrated at the exclusion and sidelining of the transgender community. Yeah. The first Pride Parade was in 1970, but the transgender community was encouraged to be quiet to stay on the sidelines. Dude, in New York. You yeah, know, every, I mean? everywhere, like, everywhere. Yeah, well, yeah, everywhere. But like even in like some of our mo like historically more progressive areas, New York and San Francisco, like both yeah. like it, known for being LGBTQ, whatever friendly, but not no. not. Yeah, but, but not, not trans friendly. But, yeah, not the T part. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't until 1973 that a frustrated Sylvia stole a microphone away from a speaker and shouted, if it wasn't for the drag queen, there would be no gay liberation movement. We are the frontliners. Mm -hmm. After that first Pride Parade in 1970, the women formed STAR, the Street Transvestite Action Revolutionaries, and they made the STAR House. STAR was an activist group focused solely on issues facing the trans community. And the first STAR House was a trailer that could be pulled by a truck. I got you, yeah parked in a Greenwich Village parking lot. It was a homeless shelter and a socializing safe space for transgender youth. About two dozen children called this place home. Unfortunately, the trailer was illegally parked and was ultimately towed. Some children were still inside when it was towed. The women knew they had to find another place to keep the shelter going. They found a building at 213 East 2nd Street. A previous resident of the old star house connected Marcia and Sylvia with the owner of the building, Michael Umbers, 
an associate of the Gambino crime family, and he's been called the Emperor of Christopher Street. Umbers was a supporter of the gay rights movement, and for a small down payment, he let the ladies move in. The legal rent for the building, so what they should have been charging, was $300 a month, which is $1,900 in today's money. Okay. But he let them rent it for $200 a month, about $1,300 in today's money. Okay. The women were pushing their dream forward, and that dream was to provide a safe space for kids on the street. But keep in mind, these kids aren't much younger than Sylvia and Marsha. They're both still in their 20s. Yeah. And they were still having to hustle to make ends meet. Kids helping kids, you know? Yeah. But they were were out there doing sex work to make money, so these kids wouldn't have to. They wanted to support these kids and put them in better positions. And this house, though affordable, wasn't in the best of conditions. It had rusted pipes, rusty water, No heat in the winter, no electricity. The activists were down, but not out. In their words, they were queens that didn't know shit about nothing. (laughs) We're we're looking at tools. We're looking at each other. (laughs) I relate to this. (laughs) And we just did about nothing. You and I put together an IKEA thing. We're just looking at each other. Listen, this, this whole quote is the only reason why I know anything about cars. You don't know shit about nothing. You're looking at tools. You're looking at each other. You start taking things apart and putting them back together. And in summary, that was my personal teenage years of having to learn how to work on cars. Should have done that. <laughs> Me looking at you, looking at these parts. Figure it out. Highly relatable. Uh, to quote TikTok, I'm gay. How hard can it be? <laughs> the women had hoped to use the top floor of the building to teach kids who were forced out of their homes at exceedingly young ages, how to read and write, to give them some basic skills to help them succeed. The fuck, Dad? I'm sorry. It's fine. It's heavy. I just, you're like, oh, what, you're five and you like Barbies or some shit? Like, you're out? Mm-hmm. What the fuck is wrong with some people? How does that even, like, I don't, hi, okay, you know what, that's fine. Please continue. <laughs> sorry, just having a moment. So, yeah, no, <laughs> that's hard. Every time I think about Sylvia, like an 11-year-old child yeah. being put out on the streets. I, I. 11. Okay. Like, yeah, like, like you don't give a shit. You're just like a parent. You're like, ah, oh, this one's broken. Get rid of it. Don't care if she does. Yes. Send it back. Like, Except what? you can't send it back. You just send it to the streets to be had. And you just don't care. Like, are they going to die or not? They don't care. They don't care what's going to happen. They worsen death. They don't care. Right. Like, how, how, how? Like, I don't understand. Like, I, if that's your religion, either. that's not a religion, and you gotta dump it. Like, yeah. it's your fucking kid. Like, it's your kid. How? All right, whatever. Okay. Fine. Of the star house, Sylvia said, we fed people and clothed people. We kept the building going. We went out and hustled the streets. We paid the rent. We didn't want the kids out in the street hustling. There was always food in the house, and everyone had fun. Kids from Boston to California found a safe place in the Star House. Unfortunately, the Star House only lasted eight months before they were permanently evicted by Umbers for non-payment and had to close. But historically, the Star House was groundbreaking. It was the first LGBTQIA shelter in North America, the first trans women of color-led organization in the United States, and the first trans sex worker labor organization. 
Throughout the 70s, Marsha became a prominent figure and began performing with the drag group known as The Hot Peaches Hey, and posed for Andy Warhol. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Just like being of that Andy Warhol. <laughs> the funeral eventually happens to him and the woman who did that. <laughs> In an interview Johnson did for a 1972 book, she said her ambition was to see gay people liberated and free and to have equal rights that other people have in America. She wanted to see her gay brothers and sisters out of jail and on the streets again. What crazy. That's so wild, Marcia. Right. To see why she was throwing bricks. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. In another interview, she said, as long as gay people don't have their rights all across America, there is no reason for celebration. In 1980, she was invited to ride in the lead car of the Gay Pride Parade in New York City. Despite her constant smile and ability to be a light to others, Marsha, unfortunately, had her share of demons. Throughout the 70s, she had a series of breakdowns and spent time in psychiatric hospitals. She continued to get arrested for sex work, and in 1990, she was diagnosed with HIV. In 1992, she was interviewed and urged people not to fear those with the disease. Through all of this, her advocacy work never stopped, and her faith never wavered. I said she was raised in church. In the Pay It No Mind documentary, her friend James Gallagher said, Marcia would always say she went to the Greek church, she went to the Catholic church, she went to the Baptist church, and she went to the Jewish temple. She said she was covering all angles. <laughs> I love her. Marcia's friend Sasha McCaffrey said, I would find her in the strangest churches. She'd be wearing velvet and throwing glitter. Dog. <laughs> she, oh, man. So cool. <laughs> Marsha expressed a relationship with the divine that was direct and personal, saying in the last interview she had about leaving home in 1963, I got the Lord on my side, and I took him to my heart with me, and I came to the city for better or worse. And he said, you know, you might end up with nothing, because, you know, me and Jesus is always talking. And I said, honey, I don't care if I never have nothing till the day I die. All I want is my freedom. I believe Jesus is the only man I can trust. And he's like the spirit that follows me around. You know, he helps me out in my hour of need. Amen, Marcia. On July 6, 1992, shortly after a gay pride parade, Marcia was found floating face down in the Hudson River. She was 46 years old. Her death was initially ruled a suicide, despite the fact that she had a blow to the head and all of her friends and family insisted she was not suicidal. Yeah, since I call bullshit, I don't think so. Several people saw a group of men harassing Marsha. One of them was later overheard in a bar saying that he'd killed a drag queen. Cops didn't care and chose to ignore it. At the time, 1992 was the worst year on record for anti-LGBT violence. In 2002, police changed the cause of death for Marsha from suicide to undetermined. Oh. And in 2016, the anti-violence project succeeded in getting the case reopened. Just, uh, you great. know, 20 fucking years. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Now, yeah. Great job, guys. Great fucking job, New York. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
Mm, okay. 30 years too it's late. It's not like you have any, like, what, where are the fucking leads now? Uh, right. You know, guy overheard in a bars. Okay. Yep. Whatever. Yep. After her death, Marcia was cremated and her ashes were scattered over the Hudson River off the Christopher Street Pier. Sylvia had faced her own share of demons and had a failed suicide attempt for which she was hospitalized. When she got out, Marcia had helped her get back together, and Sylvia left the city. That was until she heard news of Marcia's death. She came back ready to pick up where she left off. In 1997, Sylvia started the Transy House, modeled after the Star House in Brooklyn. She reconciled with the gay rights movement that had shunned her so long ago. And in 1994, she was given a place of honor at the 25th annual Stonewall Inn March. In 2001, she was marching in the New York City Pride Parades and living in the Transy House. Sylvia Rivera died of liver cancer in St. Vincent's Manhattan Hospital in 2002 at the age of 50. Her partner, Julia Murray, was at her side at the time of her death. Hmm. No, that's sad. The Sylvia Rivera Law Project continues her legacy, working to guarantee all people are free to determine their gender identity and expression, regardless of income or race, and without facing harassment, discrimination, or violence. The intersection of Christopher and Hudson Streets in Greenwich Village, two blocks from the Stonewall Inn, was renamed Sylvia Rivera Way. I'm not going to cry. <laughs> Your face looked like you're lying. <laughs> <laughs> in 2015, a portrait of Rivera was added to the National Portrait Gallery in Washington, D.C., making her the first transgender activist to be included in the gallery. New York City claimed that in 2019, memorials for both Marcia and Sylvia were to be created near the Stonewall Inn on Christopher Street, but plans for it ultimately stalled. Quote, Statues of women, people of color, and trans people are often denied behind closed doors, said Eli Ehrlich, an activist. Eli Ehrlich and Jesse Pilata created a bronze bust of Marcia and installed it themselves in Christopher Park. The bust was installed on what would have been Marcia's 76th birthday. In 2020, an 11-acre park in Williamsburg, a neighborhood in Brooklyn, was officially named Marcia P. Johnson State Park and became the first New York State Park to be named after an open-and-out member of the Alphabet Mafia. Take a breath. <laughs> Not gonna cry. The legacy of these women is far-reaching, and we have them to thank, and so many others to thank. Yeah. And that is the story of Marsha P. Johnson, Sylvia Rivera, and the Star House. Wow. That's all very tragic. <laughs> but still, they weren't fucking lying when they said they were the front lines. I mean, they were. They were the ones Absolutely. fighting the hardest, and the ones... And they had that the least. Were, yeah, they had the least, and the ones who were not even taken in by people in their own community like they had to take in each other at apparently ages where you couldn't even read like so like to me that says like six seven years old right um or younger you know like children 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 you know it just but then for these women who are having to hustle to make ends meet to turn around and say you know what that's not going to happen to you yeah. I'm going to make sure that doesn't could, happen yeah. to you. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's a lot. 
it, it it would feel slightly better if things had changed more <laughs> but really not really yeah not as much as it could i mean i think that trans as people much are much more have. yeah i think trans people are much more accepted in the lgbtq plus community like more accepted but no further than the current laws that are have been passed trying to be passed or it's very obvious that for whatever reason, they're public enemy number one. I don't <laughs> understand how it's different than any of the other identities. It's really not. Or just not. anyone, period. Like, or d- Yeah, or just anyone. I, but I mean, to I don't know. It, it's insane. It's just people, you know? And, you know, they're people with other consenting adults. You know, that's... it. it, it Except in anyway. this story, a lot of them weren't even adults, but... Yeah, well, yeah. No, that's just those were adults who threw away their kids. Yep, that's wild. It's fucking wild to me. But I was luckily, trying to end Pride Month on a happy note, <laughs> and I fucked up on that. That's all right. Look, look, look. Yeah. So, in my story, if you need to, like, you know, go back a little further, you can hear about some up- more uplifting things. But honestly, they were all part of the same fucking fight and the same struggle. I don't think I mentioned anybody very recent that hasn't been, you know, everybody's struggling. Even the people who are doing it right now are struggling. Yeah. Like the two people I mentioned that are still alive are still on these active, like activist committees because there's still all of this way to go. Because it takes eternity to go, hey, I'm people. But, uh, yeah. Maybe treat me like a person. Maybe. Just a regular fucking person with the same rights as everybody else, you know? Crazy buffing concept. Yeah. Apparently that's wild. Hate. I'll never understand it. Um, hate, hate, double hate. Hate, hate, loathe entirely. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, I mean, I hope you guys at least, you know, got something from the stories, took something from the stories that, you know, something to think about. Yeah. For thought. Look, as we, had to bring, we had to bring the woes. If we didn't bring the woes, would we, we wouldn't be? be keeping true to our thing. We would be the history yays. That's not us. Get <laughs> That's the a different out. podcast. Yeah, yeah. We don't bring the yays. So, yeah. But, you know, next episode is probably going to be I full of... <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, probably full of the same thing. So, you know, if you don't like this one, probably stop listening. If you do like <laughs> If you do like it, tune in next week when we talk about riots. I don't even know how mine ends. I just know that the premise of it was hysterical. Okay. <laughs> well, and if I don't you know like... if anyone dies yet. I didn't look. And if you like <laughs> us a whole lot, feel free to check us out on patreon.com slash history woes. Yeah. And that's how if you give us your <laughs> suggestion, your suggestion goes straight to the top, which is why Simone's suggestion is next. But in the meantime, if you guys are so inclined, you can find us <laughs> on our Instagram. At also forward slash history woes. You can find our link tree there and you can find our our, our email, our website, our Patreon, and listen to your the podcast wherever your podcasts are streaming. We'll catch you guys next time. Bye. Bye.